Let's pray together. Finally, 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 be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle, for our struggle, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Heavenly Father, without you, we will lose every battle. But because of you, because of the one who is in us, we can overcome every attack. So God, we enter your presence with thanksgiving, not just with thanksgiving and with humility, but with confidence, O oh God, knowing that, God, that you are with us. And it is by the Spirit of God that empowers us to strengthen us. It is by your grace that we are able to come into your presence with thanksgiving. So God, we humble ourselves to you, God, at this moment. We pray, God, you will speak to us, God. I pray, Lord, that you will open up these calloused ears and, God, you will soften up these calloused hearts, O oh God. May it be soft, may it be like flesh. May we feel your presence once again. May we turn back to the first love that we had at first and continue to do the things that we did at first. As we grow older each day, each second passes, as we grow closer to our grave, God, may we live the remaining days faithfully, knowing that, God, that we have one life, one chance, that may we live this life for your kingdom and for the greatest purpose and for the greatest joy that is following you, O Lord, and being faithful to the audience of one, and it is you, O God. So I pray, God, as you transition now to the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O God, for those who are listening, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O God. May our worship be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. May it not be, God, about the offering that we give, but, Lord, let it be about the obedience, God, that we give, O God. It is not about the sacrifice, but it is about the obedience. It is about the surrender heart towards you, O God. It is about a life that is fully devoted, knowing the cost, counting the cost, knowing that this life belongs to you. God, whether we have or we don't, whether you give or whether you take away, Lord, may the name of the Lord be praised. Lord, we live with the greatest fear, not fear being afraid of you, O God, but out of reverence towards you, God, for you are amazing and you're deserving of all of our praises, O God. Lord, even though today may just be like any other day, maybe today may just be just like another Sunday, but Lord, that is not the case, O God. Today is the day that you have given us. Today is the day that you have given us to worship you in spirit and truth. Today is the day of salvation. So God, we humble ourselves to you. Speak to us, God, for we are listening and we are desperate for your presence. More than yesterday, more than yesterday, more than last year, more than God, when I first met you, I need you more today. More than ever before, God, I'm hungry and thirsty for, for your word, the word of truth. We love you, we thank you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Uh, God bless everyone. Uh, let's take a moment to greet one another. And then let's begin with today's service. We are continuing on with our Authentic Christianity, Christian Christianity series. And last week we talked about Saul introduced part one. Uh, today, 
We are in part two, and the title of today's message is "By Grace Alone." Can we turn to our neighbor and say, "By Grace Alone"? Let's start with our passage for today. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1 through 26. It says this, starting from verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. As Zelza on the border of Benjamin, they will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? If you remember in chapter 9, his father sends him on a mission to find the lost donkeys. And the, he, the mission, he failed. He could not find them. He looked everywhere. He could not find them. And we learned that he was not a good caretaker. He was not a good shepherd of his father's belongings. We also talked about in note, that good leaders in the Old Testament, a lot of them, majority of them, were shepherds. They were good caretakers of animals. It was foretelling, it was a foreshadow of what was to come, that Saul was not going to be a good leader. He was going to be a leader that only cares about himself. But it says, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Verse 3, then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread which you will accept from them. Verse 5, after that, you'll go to Gilbia of God where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they'll be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you'll be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hands find to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Verse 9, Saul made king. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gilbeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Verse 12. A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? 
After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys have been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Verse 17, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord of Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan. The Metris clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has a man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And he, as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Verse 26, Saul also went to his home in Gilbia, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrel said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Amen. In this story, we see uh, God really doing a lot of work in Saul's life. He really had a lot of lacking. He was changed by God's grace. It is by God's grace that he was called to be king during this specific time. It says when they're about to introduce him, right, what happened? Where was he? It says in verse 22, has the man come here yet? And what was he doing? He was hiding. It says, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. For those of us who are in a position of leadership, we understand what it's like to first time to lead a group, a team. I remember first time when I became an assistant pastor and I was working with a junior high, middle school pastor. He's been doing it for a while. And my job as a youth pastor uh, was to lead the prayer in the evening, and there are times where I would say, okay, you know what, since you have more experience, why don't you go ahead and you do it? But it was because I was afraid. But when God calls you in a leadership, you must understand that it is by grace you have been called. And Saul, he did not understand that it was by God's grace that he has been called. And when we, God calls us by his grace, we must enter the leadership, the position that God has given us, no matter what position it is, we must enter it with confidence, knowing that it is God. It is by grace alone that God chooses his people 
by grace. If you remember 1 Samuel chapter 9, chapter before, previous chapter, specifically verse 21, what did Saul say? He said, Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Yes, we may be small. Yes, we may not have enough experience. But God chooses the lowly things. God chooses the humble things to lead his people. God chooses us by his grace. We are all chosen by grace. And what a wonderful and a beautiful reminder to us that no matter what our background, no matter what family we come from, that it is by his wonderful and his priceless grace that he calls us and it is a reminder that I am chosen by his precious, by his cost, costly grace. You are chosen by grace. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, you are chosen, chosen. By, grace. by grace. He empowers us by his grace. By his grace, he chooses us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. It says, says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is not by you that you are in the position of leadership right now. It is not by you that you are in the praise team. It is not because of your skills that you are in the praise team. It is by grace through faith, and it is not from ourselves. It is what? The gift of God that has been given to us freely, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Of the translation says, workmanship. We are his tool. We are his individuals that God uses. He partners with us. That we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do not evil works, but to do the good works, kingdom works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. It is by grace alone. Starting with point number one, in our call, He alone anoints, anoints. Our anointing comes from the Lord and Him alone. If you look at verse one, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? He's reminding, he's reminding, and he's reminding, he's reminding Saul that yes, I am the one that is physically anointing you with oil. Anointing means to smear or to rub with oil. It's kind of like what we do with steak, right? To be consecrated, to be set apart, to do God's special work. Samuel is saying, it is not me that is anointing you, a person, a human being. It is not my title, my position, but it is the Lord. He is the one that has anointed you, ruler over his inheritance. And all throughout scripture we learn, even in the New Testament, that it is God, it is Christ that has anointed us. It says in 1 Peter 2, 9-10, but you are a what? Chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you are not a people, 
just like Saul. He was lost. He could not even find the donkeys. He was useless. His purpose in life was useless. He had nothing. He lived in the darkness. Who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you are not a people, but now, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Not just mercy, but his grace by his anointing that comes from him. Again, the oil, the person, is not the main thing. The oil is not some magical portion, for the power does not lie in the oil. There are things where you see, even on TV, in the past, there were things where they would sell a water in a Ziploc bag, and it says holy water or anointing water, it literally says anointing water. And this guy, the creator, Peter Popoff, Popoff, that's his name, P-O-P-O-F-F, it says in the article, the controversial televangelist who amassed millions from a prophetic anointing of miracles spring water that promises to rid its drinkers from debt. One commenter on the video identified as Miss Swega loves you, noted three weeks ago that I sent off for that bleep a week ago. It came today. I threw it in the trash. The stories I read seem like witchcraft or wicked nonsense. And we see even in movies, like horror movies, we see even in exorcist movies that priests, they come with holy water. That does not work. There's no such thing as miracle water. In the Philippines, they have a ministry going on and it's called healing ministry and people line up. They come early in the morning, line up outside and because they believe that this guy can heal them with this miracle water and you see in the staff, the staff in the back, they're using the faucet in the back, filling the bucket with water and people actually come and they believe that they're healed and these people are in dire situation, right? They're really, sometimes, some of them, they have months to live. They have, they're, they've been treated with, diagnosed with terrible diseases, and they come looking for a miracle, thinking that this water will heal them, that this water or the oil or the person is the one that anoints us, thinking that just because a pastor comes and prays for you, yes, Getting prayer from people, yes, it's good, and it is helpful. Yes, it is biblical. But the anointing doesn't come from the hands of the anointer, of the individual, or the physical things. It comes from God, God himself. It's a reminder here in verse 1. It's important. Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him, saying, Has not, has not the Lord anointed you? ruler over his inheritance. That's why later you'll see when David, when King David, well, before he was a king, when he was a young man, when Saul tried to kill David, and when David had the chance to kill Saul in the cave, it says he just did a snip on his robe, just warning him that, Saul, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Why? Why didn't I kill, kill you? It's because you are the Lord's anointed. That God is the one that has appointed you. So we understand people in this position, it is the Lord 
that puts them there, and it is the Lord that takes them away. It is the Lord that gives you the anointing, and it is the Lord that takes away the anointing. That's why we must always stay in a humble place, asking God for His grace, that it is the Lord that anoints us. Anointing comes from the one who called us. As Christians, we are chosen, we are anointed for the work that God has called us to do, to further the kingdom of God. Specifically, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the work that He has called us to do. He has called us, He has anointed us to do the work that God has called us in our respective places, the position or the volunteer positions that we are doing for the kingdom of God. It is the Lord that anoints us. It says in 1 John 2.20, But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. 2 Corinthians 1.21-22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Again, this is Paul, the writer. The greatest apostle who has ever lived. The one who wrote majority of the New Testament. The one who was Saul before and became Paul. And no, this is not the same Saul as the King Saul that we're talking about here. Saul here, we're talking about Old Testament. This is talking, I'm talking about the new Paul in the New Testament. The apostle himself. What does he say? Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. You may think I'm great because I'm an apostle. But I'm not. It is His anointing that has anointed me as He has anointed you, as us, all of us. It is not by yourselves. It is not from yourselves. The anointing cannot come from yourself. It cannot come from me, from the pastor. It cannot come from anyone else but God Himself. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Christ is the one that has anointed us. Do not forget that. You have not anointed yourself, for we are nothing, we are garbage before His holy presence. Set a seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It's like putting money in a deposit, in a home, in a mortgage, guaranteeing that one day we will own that home as we continue to pay our mortgage and we'll become the owner. The Spirit of God within us is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come? What is to come, Yun? What is to come, Ronnie? What is to come, Arlene? Is our eternal home, our eternal relationship that is found in Christ. You know that when we die, and this should boggle your mind, we're going to have all of eternity, infinite. Time will never end to know the majesty and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, the knowledge and the amount that we know right now in this short earth, short time that we're here, in this short life that you're here, is only about a drop of a little drop of water in the ocean. We will spend all of eternity, and even eternity is not enough for us to know the majesty and the beauty. We will never fully know the majesty and the power of Jesus Christ. Just imagine that for all of eternity, for all of eternity, it will never end. 
We will learn about him. We will know about him. We'll be in a relationship with Christ forever and ever and ever, and it will never end. Do you understand? Can your mind even grasp eternity? How powerful, how majestic, how amazing our God is. He is the one. It's the Lord. The one. I am who I am. He is the one that has anointed you. Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Do you think Saul actually understood what that meant? I don't think so. I don't think he understood what that meant. That it is God that had anointed me. If he had known, he would not have gone in the direction that he would have went. We are anointed and are called because his spirit has been poured into our hearts and in our lives by his anointing. So again, in our call, he alone anoints. Point number two. Point number two is this. In our difficulties, he alone delivers. In our difficulties, he alone delivers. In our obstacles, it is God that delivers us. Our difficult tasks are taken care of by God himself. If you just go back and go back to our history of our ministry, going back to just everything. I mean, I don't need to talk details, but just even going to our first mission trip when we had to support ourselves, we had to do our own fundraising, we paid for our own ticket, and then what happened even on the way back? Uh, the flight uh, we missed, and what ended up happening? We spent an extra day, right, in the Philippines with Brother Randy, and then they said $2,000 per ticket, individual. I thought at first it was $2,000 total as a whole. $2,000 per person. And then, um, you know what happened. God provided. God provided. God provided with lodging. And eventually later, we even got everything back. And God filled us even more and more and more. And we know that obstacles have nothing. It has nothing on God. It has no hold on God. Our God is majestic. He is infinite. He is the I am who I am. There's nothing that can compare to Him. So in our difficulties, He alone delivers. Verse 2. Remember previous chapter? They were worried about the donkeys. A lot of times we worry about the little, little things, things that don't matter. Little things we worry so much day to day. Wondering how God, how are you going to take care of this situation? How will you figure out the situation for me? But he says in verse 2, When you leave me today, Samuel said, You will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. As they was out on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. Remember, he tried so hard looking for those donkeys. God found them. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? How miserably Saul failed in his mission in search of the donkeys. Again, that he was a terrible caretaker. But our God, 
He provides. He takes care of all the details behind the scenes. He gives us more than we need, which leads to point number three. Number three is in our lack of offering. He alone provides. In our lack of offering, He alone provides. Remember, Saul has nothing. He has nothing to give offering to God. But it is God that gives us the offering. And this point is very important, and this is a very important principle for us to learn as Christians. Uh, so let's just really pay attention in point number three. But let's look at the verses first, okay? Let's go to verse three and four. It says, Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept. Again, the key is to accept. Accept from them. People think, and a lot of us right now, we have money in our bank accounts. And when we give our offering, and when we give our offering, we arrogantly and we ignorantly, we think that we are giving what is ours, what is mine, to God. And the question is, what is ours? Is not everything we have given by God himself? Didn't Job say in Job chapter 1 verse 21, that it is the Lord that gives and it is the Lord that takes away? That everything we have from the beginning, from the roof that we had over our roofs, from the milk that we have, from the food that we had since we were infant, the fact that we're alive today, the fact that we have this building, is not everything given by God himself. Meaning that nothing we have, we're not the owners of any of this. We're just mere managers, we're just stewards taking care of God's things. So a lot of times, Christians, when we give our offering, we give thinking, oh God, yes, I work so hard, and I'm giving you this offering because it's mine, I'm giving it to you because I think you need the help. But the reality and the truth is, God does not need our offering. It does not belong to me. It is not mine to give. It belongs to Him. It belongs to the Lord. Everything we have, God is in control. Does not God have control over everything we have? Everything we have is from Him. So why do we arrogantly think that we can give something, we can offer something to God when it is God that has given to us in the first place? The job that we have, we arrogantly, we keep things for ourselves, we hoard it for ourselves, thinking that God will not give, God will not provide. We work on Sabbath, on Sunday, thinking that we're going to get paid more. Thinking that God, that somehow we can give God something. But it belongs to God. It belongs to Him. And everything we have is His. Psalm 24, 1-2 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord, your God. Again, Joel 1.21, I said earlier, Naked I came from my mother's room and naked I will depart. By this point, you should have memorized this. 
the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. We are mere travelers, stewards, managers of God's blessings, of God's own things. We are just ambassadors for his name. And again, God doesn't need our endorsement. He can endorse himself. He can use anyone. He can even use the rocks to cry out if we will not cry out to him. However, what's amazing here is that God has chosen us. He has called us to partner with us, to anoint us, to enable us to follow him obediently to do the good work that God has called us to do. So for offering, listen to me, church, listen to me, individual. Don't give offering thinking that you're giving what is yours. When we give offering, we're not giving what is ours. We're, we're giving what is already his. And you may think, oh, as a pastor, oh, offering, talking about, nope, I have no care for the offerings. How much you guys give? I have zero Nothing. No concern for any of that. I have no eyes on who pays offering. The finance team has the eyes on it. I don't see the list of who pays what. And I've always said the same thing, even before when we were part of the big church, when we gave all our offering to the big church, when we had no touch of the finances. And I'm going to say it over and over and over again, that we do not give what is ours. We give God what is already his. So for me, even when I give offering, I give generously to God what is already His. When I first got the salary in our church, the whole check offering. Because at the end of the day, it's not, it's not about the money. It's not about what I can give to God. It's about God. Everything I have, everything we have right now is the blessing that you have given. God, it is yours. It is yours to take. It is yours to have. And when we are generous and we give God what is already His, and when you have that mindset, God will continue to guide us, strengthen us. He will give to us, and He will also take away whatever He decides to do. God, may your will be done. doesn't matter. And you know, Saul here, he completely misses this. Yeah, what was point number three in our lack of offering? He alone provides. But we see in 1 Samuel, if you read later, and we're going to get to that in the future, 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is when Saul, he's already a king, and God gives command that, listen, you need to go and destroy the Amalekites. And Amalekites were people who gave Israelites hard time uh, in, uh, in the past, and God said, listen, you need to take care of these people, these evil, crooked individuals. And God gives a command, a specific command, to destroy everything, livestock, everything. Well, what happens in the story is he saves the plunder, he saves the animals. So when Samuel comes, he's hearing all these goats and these animals in the background. He's like, what is going on? And God spoke to him already in his dream that I have rejected Saul as king for he does not obey me. 
And then he goes on and he hears these goats and he goes and, and then what does, what does he say? He comes and he says, I think he says, um, something about praise the Lord, something. I have followed the Lord's instructions, right? He arrogantly he says, Oh, I followed the Lord's instructions. I did everything he said, but there are animals and everything. He left the things. And then he's like, what are these? Oh yeah, really? Then what are these noises of animals and goats that I hear in the background? He says, Oh, we just wanted to save the best, the plunder to give God, to give it to him as his offering to him. And then he says, did not God tell you to destroy everything? And then he goes on, he blames, he throws his soldiers under the bus. And he says, he says, the soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder. Is he not the king? Is Saul not the king? The soldiers, don't they not listen to the order of the king? He goes, the soldiers did it. Why are you throwing your men under the bus? And then Samuel says to him, Listen to me carefully, Samuel, and listen to me carefully, all of you, all of us, even for me. Samuel replied, he says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. What is it saying here? To obey God, to do what God asks us to do is more important than giving our offering to Him. Whatever God has given in your heart to give, to obey Him, you do it generously and you do it faithfully. And then Saul, you know, he's he's a people pleaser, right? You'll see that. He's, he's a man of a lot of insecurities and he cares about what people think about him. So he says, you know, please, Samuel, you know, honor me in front of the men. You know, don't, Please, please, you know, make me look good, you know, and, and he goes on, he, he, he says stuff like, you know, please honor me before the people of the elders of Israel, and he says, help me to worship, uh, the Lord, and he says, your God, he's talking to Samuel, your God. So God was never his God. He doesn't say to worship the Lord, our God, my God, but he says, the Lord, your God. And we see that all he cares about is image. Even that phrase, your God, it speaks volumes. And then what's funny too is, um, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, when you're repentant, what do they do? They usually what? They go like, it's like an anime where, no, they like rip their clothes, right? Or they, or one punch man just rips, does he rip his hair or his hair falls out? Okay, anyway, so it's, Simpson, right? Homer. He's stressed. It's symbol of humility. But instead of him ripping his own clothes, he goes and he grabs hold of Samuel and he rips Samuel's robe. It's like this guy. You rip your own robe. You're the one that messed up. And it's just comedy here. It's comedic because we see that Samuel, he never sees God as his God. He never knows his God. It's always someone else's God. It's like, Ronnie, can you please pray for me? Pray to your God for me. Arlene, pray for me. Why can't we pray for ourselves to our living God? Please repeat after me. Everything that I have, have, what I have, have, is not mine. mine. 
It is all His. Amen. And it is God that provides the offering. Again, He had nothing, but God sends these three men to give Him His offering, to give His offering to God. And we see it all throughout Scripture, guys. Even in Genesis chapter, we see the story of Abraham. We all know the story. He was at the age of 100. Sarah was at the age of 90. 90 or 80. No, 190. Anyways, they're 10 years apart. That's pretty old, right? And she was barren. And do you remember the story of it? Ishmael, Hagar, because she couldn't be pregnant. But God said, I, will, I promise I will give you a son. Do your descendants, your offsprings will be many. As numerous as the stars, it says. But when they finally, when Sarah, at an old age, she becomes pregnant with her one and only son, Isaac. What does God tell him to do? Go and sacrifice your son. Again, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And he obeys. He takes Isaac, his teenage son. And by the time he's about to lift up his knife and plunge it into his son as a sacrifice. What does God say? God says, stop. Do not lay your hand on the boy or to do anything with him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham, for now I know that you fear God. It was a test. And then we see later that they see, it says, a ram. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and he saw a ram. The horn got stuck on the bush, and that was the offering that God gave. So never be limited or be hindered. If you even have a dollar or even 25 cents, never be hindered to give God your everything. God will always give, and he will give you what you need to give as an offering to him. Again, offering isn't about sacrifice. It's not about the offering, but it's about obedience. Obedience, obedience, obedience. What was point number three? In our lack of offering, he alone, amen, he alone provides. Point number four, in our walk, in our walk, he alone fills. In our walk with God, he is the only one that can fill us. Fill us with what? With his Holy Spirit, with his presence. Your life, and right now my life, our lives are sustained by his spirit. It is the spirit of God that allows our hearts to beat. It is the spirit of God that allows us the grace to live each day. When unfair things happen in our lives, we say, God, bring justice. We better be careful when we say, God, bring justice. Because if God, you are a God of justice, then God should take me down right now. He should smite me right now because I am a sinner, lost. How can I ever dwell in his holy presence? We serve a just God. 
but praise be to God for His grace and for His Spirit. Our lives are sustained by His Spirit. Your walk in the Lord is sustained by His Spirit. Without His Spirit filling you, without His Spirit, the Spirit of God filling us and sustaining us, we are forever lost. It says in verse 5 to 7, After that you will go to Gilba of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, and pipes, and harps being played before men, and they will be prophesying. What's the same? Verse 6, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. When God calls us to do the work that he has called us to do, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. That's why there are times when you hear me pray, God, if your presence is not here with us, everything we do is in vain. It's garbage before, before you, O oh Lord. We need his Holy Spirit. We need the filling of his Holy Spirit. Saul was able to prophesy. He was able to be filled. He was able to do God's work because of the Holy Spirit that filled his life. Just like you and me. We were able to walk. We were able to do our jobs well. We were able to live this life well. This short life well. As mere travelers here on earth. Waiting for our eternal heaven. Our eternal home in God. Because of his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one that brings us comfort. Holy Spirit is the one that gives us discernment and wisdom and knowledge to know what to do in this life. To navigate, to make the right path, to make the right decision, to walk in the right path for His namesake. When God's people do God's work with God's power, it releases God's Spirit, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. And they will know and know that it is by God that you are doing it. Acts 1.8 says this. And I'm paraphrasing here. You can go ahead and read what's up on the screen. But it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. And who receives the Holy Spirit is all those who believe. If you are right now in a path in the path of a Christian walk, and you have a relationship with God. You do not need to have a full understanding of the full salvation, the doctrine of salvation. You do not need to know all the theology in the world. The gospel is very simple. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you know that you're a sinner saved by the grace of God, and you have a relationship with God, then you will be saved. You'll be filled with His Holy Spirit. Who receives the Holy Spirit? For all those who believe, all those who have faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrected, fully God, fully man, who came on this earth and who died on the cross for me, who resurrected from the dead, rose again from the dead. Because he lives, I live. If we do not have the Spirit of God, everything we do is in vain. And I'll say that until the day I die. All my work, everything I do is garbage before God. Because then I am doing it in my own strength. And my own work, my own righteousness will never, will never suffice. It will never be enough. It will never be 
enough. When I die, when you die, when we face the judgment of God, and I've given this analogy with the selfie, you know, when God sees us, is he going to see you? You and is he going to see you in 2019 when you went on the Philippines mission trip and you wrote in that journal? And you're going to go to him, God, remember I did such amazing work that year. God, I mean, look, look at my work. Look what I did. My righteousness, that's what righteousness is, is my work. My good work, my good deeds. And if you have a, if you even have a hint, a smell, a sniff of your own righteousness, then we will be rejected from God's kingdom. But no matter how much good work you have done, and when you're facing the ultimate, the throne of God, the judgment of God, God himself, when he sees us, and we humble ourselves and we say, God, it is not by my work. It is not what I have done. Yes, I've done all those things, but that's all garbage, God. It doesn't matter. And you say, God, I've been saved by grace. It is by your spirit that I'm here. It is by the righteousness of Christ that is on me, that's been bestowed upon me. And when God sees us, does he see you, the selfie, your version of yourself, your version of, of being a Christian? Or does God see the blood of Christ in you? Does God see Jesus Christ, his righteousness in your life? It's like the story of the Exodus, the Israelites, the spirit of death passed over. Everyone who did not have the blood of the Lamb as a mark died, the firstborn. But the ones who had the blood, the blood of Christ, they lived. Same thing now. Do you have the blood of Christ? Do you have the Spirit of God? He alone fills us with his Holy Spirit. If I don't have the Spirit of God, all my work is garbage before him. First Samuel 16, 14 says, and later you will see, and this is a scary part, and I hope that you will take this warning very seriously. First Samuel 16, 14. Later, Saul has been a king for a while. And what happens after his disobedience, disobedience, and disobedience? It says, now the Spirit of the Lord had what? Departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. The Spirit of God snuffed out he gives and he takes away. How scary it is when the Spirit of God is no longer with us. The Spirit of God is no longer with us. What's the point of living? What's the point? Why? So you could just be happy 
just for a little bit on this earth. And then after a while, we will all one day die with something. And then all of eternity in hell, away from God, away from his presence. The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's why it says in Psalm 51, David, what does he say? A pure heart, O God, and renew a what? Steadfast spirit. His spirit needs to be steadfast in our lives every single day. It is not just a one-time event and gone. Saul, it was that one time. Spirit of God came on him. He prophesied. That was it. A lot of us, we say, do the same thing. We go on retreats. We go for the experience, not the encounter of the living God. We go through the motions. We cry. And then the next day, we're back at home doing the same old thing. We have an experience with the Spirit, but not filling of the Spirit. It's a steadfast spirit within me. Renew a steadfast, a continuing spirit, oh God, every single day until I take my final breath on earth. Steadfast spirit within me. A pure heart, oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11 says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David is saying this because he remembered in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. He remembered what happened with Saul. If you read chapter 16, this is where David is introduced. Well, they met before, but David, he played the instrument well, the, the lyre well. He played the instrument well. So David would have to, he would come, he would play, he would bring worship before, before God, before Saul to to make the torment, the tormenting evil spirits away from Saul. So David saw that with his eyes. He saw, he witnessed with his eyes the Spirit of God leaving Saul and the evil spirit tormenting Saul. If the Spirit of God is not within you, you have a different spirit within you. And we do yoga, meditation, thinking namaste, and that's it. Empty your mind, empty everything. If you empty your mind, the Spirit of God away from your life, then what other spirit is filling your life? Do you not know how scary that is? Do you not understand Ephesians chapter 6, what we just talked about, putting on the former of God in the intro of the prayer that I prayed. Therefore, to put on the former of God, it says in Ephesians 6, because the battles we fight is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. It is not the physical fight that we see on earth. It's a spiritual battle that we're battling every single day. If the Spirit of God is not filling your life, then you have a different spirit filling your life. And that spirit is not from God. That spirit is from Satan. What are you filled with? Or are you just going through the motions, the experience of the Spirit? One time God uses you for that one year, particular year. Retreat summer. Oh, that was my highlight of the year. Shouldn't every day, every day, mundane day, be the highlight of our lives? 
that today may be my last. And today I will live with the steadfast spirit of God within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew your steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Oh, the, the word joy. How we take that for granted. Joy is everything in life on this earth. If I have no joy in my life, every day will be filled with depression, hopelessness, being lost, holding on to my job that is so fleeting, earthly relationships, up and down, up and down. When good things happen, we're happy because of our happenings. And when things are taken away, we are depressed, down again, tossed back and forth by the storms of this life like an infant. David prayed, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do you know that's what joy is? That's it, that you're saved. Simple, and it's beautiful. My joy comes from the fact, not because I have the suit or the watch or the shoe or the car or the relationships. My joy just comes from the fact that I'm saved. Salvation in God, that's it. Such pure, the purity behind that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And you need to be willing. Are you willing? Do you have the will to seek God? To seek His presence? To seek His Spirit? Because His Spirit is the only thing that will sustain you day by day. If His Spirit is not with you, you will not last in the kingdom of God. Tossed back and forth. Everything we do is garbage before God. Whenever you feel down, you know, whenever you feel lost, just sing. Create in me a clean heart. That's where Psalm 51 was taken. Oh, God. I forget how the song goes. And renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your... I think I, I, think I butchered that. Salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51 is so pure and so beautiful. It's about David crying out to the living God. The Spirit of God was in David's life and it's evident here in Psalm 51. It's evident in his life, the way he lived day by day. The Spirit of God was in David's life. The Spirit of God continued to be in David's life. While the Spirit of God was a one-time thing and was no longer in Samuel's life. For Samuel 16, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. 
and the Lord sent an evil spirit to torment him, it says. Verse 10, when he, a servant, arrived at Gobiah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. Prophesying, speaking in tongues, all that good stuff, the gifts is not what will sustain us. The miracles is not what's going to sustain us. And we see that in John 6, chapter 6, verse 66, after they witness all the miracles of the feeding of the thousands, when Jesus offers his body, his body, his blood, this is too much, and they all walk away. They departed him. It is the Spirit of God that keeps us in the right relationship with God. So again, what was point number four? In our lack of offering, oh, I'm sorry, that's point number three. What's point number four? In our walk, he alone fills. Amen. And then the last point, point number five. In our race, he alone transforms. In our race, he alone transforms. If people are still saying to you after all these years of being a Christian that you haven't changed much, then that's a huge red flag. Um, in our walk with God, in our race with God, uh, we should be changing uh, more in His image every single day. Sometimes it will get worse um, for you to realize that you are changed. It's kind of like um, when you're shaken, all these evil things, you thought you were a good person, but all these things are being revealed to you that you're not, right? And that's the moment where you shouldn't give up. It's good that it's getting worse before you change for the better because it's showing that you're finally becoming real about who you are about your weaknesses, about your lust, about the temptations and your weaknesses. Only when we come clean and honest before God, then can God root it out. But if all we're doing is, oh, holier than thou, fake it till we make it, I'm perfect, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a jolly day, it's a beautiful day, God bless you, my brother, my sister, and we live that way not admitting that we are crooked and we are scoundrels before God, that our hearts are crooked beyond cure, unless we come to a true and genuine realization that we are lost without His presence and that we need Him, we will not be fully transformed. God transforms us through all the stuff, all the dirt coming to the surface. Then only He can scoop it out. It's kind of like oil that comes to the surface. It's kind of like pouring water when you do sargaji, all the dirt, just do it until all the dirt comes out. Every point that we talked about here today, you can't not have one without the other. They all go together. 
in our race, He alone transforms our hearts. When we turn to the Lord, our lives and our hearts, your heart representing your life is transformed. And if your heart is transformed, your lives will be shown from that transformation. Right? There's no way you can bring something else when your root and the foundation is something different. How dare we produce evil when we are rooted in Christ? Verse 9 says, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, who changed Saul's heart? God. God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When I look back to my old life, who I used to be, or look at the old picture, I can't even recognize myself. Because God has transformed me and changed me into who He wanted me to be. And if you miss your old self, then you have a different spirit within you. If you miss the old life and you want to go back to your old ways, just like the Israelites, if only I had stayed in Egypt as a slave, are they forgetting that they were slaves? Mistreated. Oh God, I want to go back. I want to be free. I can't stand this legalism, all these things that I have to do, checklist as a Christian. It's too hard. Yes, it is hard. But it comes from the overflow of a changed heart, a changed life. And it's easy. Just surrender. Just surrender. Because that is the best place to be. Submission to God. Not in a rival fight against God. You will never win. It is a battle you you should not even start. Can we win? Do we even have a chance? The one who created the heavens and the earth. Do I even have a chance? My skeptic mind. Do I even have a chance to debate the living God? Surrender. Surrender now. When we turn to the Lord, He alone will transform our hearts. It's no longer God. You fit into my life the way that I vision you, envision you to be. My plans and my box, and you stay within that box. Don't you dare come out of that box. We treat him like a pet, like a magical genie. How arrogant that we think that we can control such a powerful, amazing God himself. That should never be our thinking. It's no longer that. But what it is, is, but God, how can I serve you, my king? How can I serve the king of kings, the Lord of lords? Verse 22. So they inquire further of the Lord. Has a man come here yet? Again, they're introducing the king, the new king. 
And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. What is he doing? <laughs> he just did all these amazing things. He was filled with the Spirit of God. God transformed his heart. God called him. Samuel himself, the man himself, the prophet himself. He's been anointed by God. He has a changed life. He has a Spirit of God in him. Like, what is he doing? What is he doing? What are you doing, Saul? He's hiding. He has hidden himself among the supplies. You could just imagine God just going, <laughs> he is, he's hiding. What is he doing? I've given him everything he needed, more than he ever needed. But he's hiding himself among the supplies, nowhere to be found. Here's the king. Wait, where is he? Where'd he go? And I'm afraid for our generation, especially during the pandemic, all the Christians and young and old, this generation, where are they? What are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we hiding? Why are we more afraid of the virus? Again, we're being smart. We got to be wise. I'm not here to start a revolt or a rebellion. Are you living in fear of the world, of this life, or the fear of God, reverence to God? Which scale is heavier? Here's the king. Nowhere to be found. Us Christians always making excuses, hiding behind our excuses, hiding behind our insecurities. And we forget that ultimately the root is pride. Because you think that your emotion, your feeling about yourself is greater than the call that God has placed in your life. Are you forgetting? Are you forgetting? Are you forgetting who you are? That you are royal priesthood, God's chosen, His chosen people who called you into His wonderful light, from darkness into His wonderful light. Have you forgotten? Closing with this. Oh, how pride kills. Ultimately, this is a battle between Saul's pride versus humility and surrender before the living God. You'll see a huge contrast in the life of David and in the life of Saul. Saul will 
continue on living in his pride. And you'll see how little by little the pride kills him, ultimately leading to 1 Samuel 16, to the point where the Spirit of God had departed him, will no longer walk with him. But David, on the other hand, will be a man of submission, will be a man of humility before God. And he will cry out to him, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast your presence from me. Give me a willing spirit, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The joy of your pure salvation, O God. how pride kills us we have been given everything we need to be called in doing the work for his service how dare we say God not now I'm a little busy right now don't you understand let me take care of this right now or I'm just shy God I can't not right now hiding behind the supplies why are you hiding why are you hiding you keep hiding you keep running spiritual death is waiting for you it's just a footstep away take that path the path of pride oh how pride kills oh how pride will destroy you can we just close our eyes at this time
of God departed him. If we continue to live in a place of pride or in a place of rebellion towards him, we're only a first step away. May we understand the seriousness, direness of this situation right now. The scripture tells us that today is a day of salvation, not tomorrow. Do not arrogantly think that tomorrow you will have a chance. Today may be our last day on earth. And may we not take these words lightly, that when we still have ears right now, ears to hear and hearts to receive, may receive them today with humility. from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him but the scripture also gives us hope it says he gives grace generously that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble will you receive his grace right now of God's grace right now or will you sink and die in the ocean of your pride will you humble yourselves today and be used by God by the filling of his Holy Spirit or will you hide behind your insecurities and be found behind the supplies will you continue to grow in your pride will you continue to grow in your humility and your availability before God
Father, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt shed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praises. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Remember what we talked about earlier in the message. My sacrifice, O God, is what? A broken spirit. A broken and a contrite. Contrite means a remorseful heart. You, God, will not despise. God, you do not delight in sacrifices, but you delight in the obedience, the broken spirit, and a contrite soul, heart, mind. Or here we are, not standing in our own righteousness, O God. Who am I that I think, God, I can stand on my works, on my good works? Thank you, God, that everything that I've done is garbage com compared to the suppressing knowledge of knowing Christ, my Lord. Lord, without your spirit, everything I do is garbage, oh God. It's lost and is in vain. It's useless. My work will not stand. It will be burned off. It will be shown for what it is. Garbage. Ashes. Ashes and dust. And that's who I am. Ashes to ashes. And dust to dust. Naked I have come. Naked I was born. And naked I will depart. It is the Lord that gives. And it is the Lord that takes away. May the name of the Lord, may the name of the Lord be praised. For you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are the people of God. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. You're a child of God. Once you had now received mercy, but now you have not only received mercy, but grace and His Spirit and His forgiveness. And He has bestowed upon you His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. So God, thank you, Lord, that we can enter your throne with thanksgiving and with humility. I pray that when we take our final breath, that when we see you face to face, when all of our sins are laid bare and open, and we are so shamed and shameful and we cannot stand before your presence, that we can't even look even at your feet for God. be found by the blood of Christ that has covered me that has saved me and washed away all my sins the righteousness of Christ is the reason why I can stand and be here today not by works not by might not by my own strength but by the one who loved me and who died for me so that I can have life to the full so God we surrender our hearts to you we give you our everything speak to us God every single day a steadfast spirit and a willing spirit to follow you wholeheartedly May everything that we pray for tonight, may everything that we said today, Lord, may be pleasing in your ears. It may not fall to the ground. But Lord, hear us from heaven where we are hungry and we are desperate for your love. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. God's people pray. Amen and amen.
praise your name.